Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Teachers, children, and parents were sent scrambling just before the spring break as the Ontario government announced it would be returning to remote learning for all students across the province. Since Easter, the spread of COVID-19 is setting records across Ontario and here in Northumberland. The break was meant to be a time for everyone in the school system to catch their breath. Now it means teachers must spend their time preparing to deliver lessons online. For parents, it means big changes at home and disruption. For the kids, it means more interruptions in their learning, losing contact with their friends at school, and much more. In the first segment, I will be talking to the president of the local teachers' union about the latest move by the government, its impact on the students, and its effect on learning. Plus, we will discuss the efforts by all teachers' unions to make their members a priority when it comes to the vaccinations. Here is my interview with the local teachers' union about remote learning and the campaign to get educators vaccinated sooner rather than later. I'm so pleased to have with me today Aaron Leonard, president of District 14 of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, which also serves Northumberland County. Welcome to Consider This. Thank you so much for having me. The government has announced a return to remote learning following the spring break. What is the impact of such a decision on teachers and students? Well, first off, I mean, on Sunday, um, Minister Stephen Lecce said that we would be returning to schools on Monday, April 19th, and then the very next day the Ford government announced that schools would be closed. So really what's happened is the education system has been sent into chaos once again, just like on every other break that we've had. Um, But ultimately what it means is we have to pivot extremely fast once again. So teachers aren't getting a break. They're preparing for their virtual learning courses. Schools are preparing to ensure that Every single student has the technology they need to access their courses. I know before the break, Cortha Pine Ridge was extremely efficient and wanted to be prepared just in case this happens. So textbooks were sent home as much technology as possible, but there's still gaps that need to be addressed. So really, we're preparing for this shift, and we're trying to consider what types of mental health impacts this is going to have on our students and what learning deficiencies could occur shifting to a virtual learning model, for instance, you can't learn virtually for our tech courses or our arts courses or even our science courses. You can't do in-person labs. You can only do labs that are online and they're not exactly hands-on or as efficient as they could be for in-person learning. For people who are not familiar, I mean, we've heard this term remote learning. Can you describe what remote learning is and maybe give us an example of a class comparing an Uh, comparing an in-class approach versus a remote learning approach? Of course. So a remote learning approach, it's all online. Uh, So 
the students are utilizing multiple platforms virtually. Uh, within Cortha Pine Ridge, we utilize um, EdSpy, which is kind of like a online web page for your classroom, but we can also use Google Classroom or uh, D2L, which is Desire to Learn. And then on top of that, we have video platforms such as Google Meet or WebEx or Microsoft Teams. So students are engaged in all of those, um, and we are uh, supposed to be giving 225 minutes of synchronous learning. So that's basically where the teacher is online and available. They're lecturing or they're guiding students for assignments, etc. And then there's uh, additional time where students have time independently to work on assignments. I mean, thinking just about in-person learning, you get far more one-on-one -on -one time with a teacher. It's extremely difficult online to get that one-on-one -on -one time. Um, there's so much lost in translation to technology. So it takes so much longer just to get through those tech bugs. I mean, just going through an assignment, you can come up with multiple tech issues that are happening. Um, I teach music, so I'm, I'm going to use that as an example. So in a, in a classroom, it's extremely easy to utilize our practical components of the course. You can play instruments, whether it's percussion, string. Um, currently with woodwind or brass instruments, uh, there's a lot of safety precautions, but we have access to that all in the classroom. When you translate that to an online learning environment, you're losing a lot of that practical component of the curriculum. It's extremely difficult to test on how to play an instrument when you're online, and students don't have access to those materials. Not to mention sound quality within an online learning platform just isn't sufficient, or even thinking about Northumberland, there are so many remote areas where there isn't a strong enough internet access to support your video component of the online learning classroom. And this goes for a wide variety of curriculum. So we have our tech courses where you don't have access to you know, your culinary supplies, your construction supplies, your automotive supplies. So instead of getting the practical components that we need, especially in our tech courses where we need students moving into technological fields, they're losing that component of their curriculum and instead it's all mostly text-based and there's no hands-on practical um, abilities for them to work on. Now, when you started talking, you mentioned uh, about three or four different kinds of software, um, some of them doing the same kinds of things. Why is there not just one software package, and how difficult is it to, to uh, train students and yourselves to use multiple packages, uh, multiple softwares, excuse me, for uh, each thing? So we don't utilize just one because each one has their own limits. Um, for instance, no matter what, every single classroom in Cortha Pine Ridge has an EdSpy class. Um, but a lot of students find it difficult to figure out how to upload assignments, and it's much easier to do that in Google Classroom. In Google Classroom, you can organize units um, a lot more efficiently than you could in EdSpy. Meanwhile, our e-learning courses all are on D2L Desire to Learn, no matter what. Uh, so we have all of these three platforms, and I should also mention D2L is um, mandated by the ministry to utilize for e-learning courses, so that's where that component comes from. Um, whereas EdSby also 
we're able to, that's where we have to do our report cards. So most of our marks come in there. Um, it's, it's extremely difficult for students to learn all of these platforms. When we think of a student nowadays, I mean, Doug Ford tried to iterate this concern early last year by banning cell phones. Students are attached to their cell phones, but when we think about a cell phone and its crossover to, say, a laptop or desktop computer, they're completely different. Um, so we really have to focus on fundamentals of how to use these programs, how to save a file properly, um, how to download a PDF instead of working it working with it on your browser, because if you submit it from your browser, it, you're going to lose all of the work you've done. So there's a lot of time that's lost just teaching students exactly how to use the technology that we're interacting with. Now, we've talked about a student's perspective. What about a teacher's perspective? Well, uh, we are very lucky. Kortha Pine Ridge has provided us with training opportunities on all these platforms. Um, I will mention that this was not created by the Ministry of Education. This was internally done within our own school board. Uh, and it's all voluntary on teachers' own time. Um, so there are those resources there for us to learn these platforms. But I can tell you from my own experience, I started using Google Classroom this year. And it was a huge learning curve moving from Edsby over to Google Classroom. There's so many different things you can utilize with it, and it's completely different than the Edsby platform. So on top of everything that we've had to do this year, adding in that technology has created an extra large workload for educators in our system. What difference does it make having gone already through a previous period where teachers and students did remote learning? Are, are teachers and students getting any better at remote learning? I would say we definitely are getting better at remote learning, particularly from the teacher perspective. I mean, we're becoming more familiar with this technology. We're becoming more innovative. And really, within our virtual high school, all of those teachers need to be absolutely commended. The creativity and innovation that they've developed throughout the school year is remarkable. There's technology and websites and ideas that they've created that has really focused on engaging their students. Um, but when we shift into virtual learning from our in-person learning, we still, we lose a lot and the stress is really quite there. Um, we see it particularly with our in-person students. I mean, it's so easy to disengage when you're shifting from in-person learning to virtual learning. Uh, you just you don't have the connection to your class that you typically have. And starting on Monday, this is a new quadmester. There are new courses, and there's going to be teachers there who have never taught this course online, or perhaps this is actually the first time that they're ever teaching this course, and all of a sudden they have to shift everything to an online platform. Are there any successes or advantages that you've noted in, in remote learning? I mean, are, are there some positives in there? Well, I, I do want to stress that no matter what, in-person learning is the best option for students. I mean, when we shift to a virtual learning platform, we're losing that social connection that we so desperately need. I mentioned earlier that Doug Ford had banned cell phones, and it's really... I was there to get students interacting with each other again. 
Um, although there are some great learning tools that are possible on uh, on cell phones. Um, but in terms of positives, really, I would just say it's it really put this emphasis on the fact that we need more technology within our school boards. We need more funding for that, and we need broader internet access across the entire province. Um, and another positive note is really we've learned a lot more about technology that we can bring into our classrooms in years to come. Has there been any noticeable impact on the students and their learning, I mean, in terms of grades or behavior, things like that? Um, in terms of virtual learning? Yes. Okay. Uh, I would definitely say, I, I don't have statistics, but just from conversations I've had with uh, my fellow educators, that there has been a shift in student learning. I would say that grades have dropped. It's a completely different learning platform. It's something that we have to pivot and get used to. Um, but in, yeah, I, I would also say that the stress and anxiety levels have also increased as the school year has progressed as well. What's being done to um, address that? So in our virtual learning world, I know that there was a survey done uh, for our students to hopefully try and address that. Um, but really, more needs to be done across the entire province when it comes to student mental health. I mean, it, it's really great that you know there's an emphasis out there that we need to be thinking about mental health, but we need the supports in place. We need funding for more school counselors. Um, in order to actually address our students' needs in a prompt timeline. One of the concerns early on was access to technology, computers and internet connectivity, and I know you've alluded to that earlier, but what has been done since the beginning to address these and other access issues? So, Cortha Pine Ridge has been extremely good about shifting um, and getting access to technology. There. Their technology department has been fantastic. They've introduced an IT helpline that parents and students can access. Um, they just call and they'll get remote help for any computer issues that they're having. Uh, they have purchased additional technology uh, in order to ensure that you know every single teacher um, has access to a computer right away, but also to ensure that any student who needs a piece of technology when we shift to virtual learning has access to one as well. Um, but one thing that I, I really want to stress is that KPR is utilizing a lot of their reserves to fund for these initiatives. It wasn't until the middle of the school year that the Ministry of Education provided additional funding for technology, and it simply isn't enough. I mean, KPR typically uses their reserves to fund an underfunded special education, so I'm very, very concerned that moving forward, we might not have access to enhanced special education funds that KPR normally provides simply because they're utilizing the reserves to support student learning this year. Uh, and then when it comes to internet access, I mean, there's not a lot that a school board can do. This is an infrastructure issue that needs to be addressed by the Ford government, and they're working on it, but we needed it last year. 
The Ontario government and David Pacini just sent out a press release this morning, so I wouldn't be surprised if you haven't heard this yet. But uh, there's being $10.7 million, $10. million being given to the public school board and another $8.3 million to the Catholic school board for infrastructure and the kinds of things that you've just described, things from uh, air, air systems, though, uh, water, uh, bottle refilling stations, uh, space re- reconfiguration, new walls and doors to encourage physical distancing, those kinds of, of, of things. Is, is that money being well spent or is it should it be being spent on the kinds of things that we just discussed? that it is being well spent it still isn't enough and it wasn't early enough so addressing ventilation in our schools that's a big big project and you can't do that while students are in the building uh Quartha pine ridge has a is utilizing that money but it's being done this summer right so if this was a concern and it was because it was in the Sick Kids report back in July, I believe, to address ventilation in schools, the funding should have been distributed then so that ventilation could have been addressed prior to this school year. Um, as I mentioned, Quartha Pine Ridge has been very good at purchasing technology in order to support teachers. And there's definitely been uh, more water bottle stations that have been installed, and I know more are in the works as well. I understand there are numerous in-school programs to support students, and there were a lot of concerns earlier raised about getting access to those kinds of programs and resources. Have these things been addressed sufficiently? Sorry, can you provide me with an example? Sure. Um, special education. Um, also, uh, th- there were lunch and breakfast programs, uh, things like that that uh, would have normally taken place in, uh, before the pandemic. And there were some okay. questions about those kinds of things being uh, provided. Does that help? Yes, of course. Uh, So I do know that breakfast programs are still running, however, they're significantly different. Um, When it comes to special education, we really haven't seen many changes to the supports that were in place, but what we are seeing is, you know, so many of the other opportunities within schools that make students feel safe have disappeared this school year simply because we can't gather um, teachers are they're really overworked, and it's really difficult to get students to join in on another virtual platform for a meeting for, say, a GSA or a debate club. Um, but schools are really doing their best to make sure those supports are in place for students. For instance, um, there's lots of different opportunities within schools to you know, access personal hygiene product, products if you need them, uh, extra masks in case you don't have an extra one and it becomes spoiled throughout the day, uh, ensuring that students have access to reusable water bottles if they don't have one so that they can stay well hydrated throughout the day. They're really doing their best, but within the physical distancing guidelines, it's extremely difficult uh, to maintain a lot of the clubs and activities that connect students to one another and really support their mental health. Can you tell us how teachers are doing? When I last spoke to the union, teachers were just going to go back into the classroom and there was a lot of anxiety and stress at that time. How are they doing now? The anxiety and stress levels have only increased throughout this school year. Uh, As I mentioned before, 
it seems like every break that we have been given, the education system has been thrown into chaos by the Ministry of Education. Um, so just thinking about the summer, going back there, like the stress and anxiety was huge. We had no idea what was happening in September. And the announcements of what we were supposed to do came extremely late from the Ministry of Education. We had to figure out what to do in our classrooms in a very short period of time. And then there was hope for the winter break. And in the middle of the winter break, it was announced that schools would be closing. And once again, teachers gave up so much of their personal time that they desperately needed to pivot to an online learning environment. Then we had the devastating news that March break would be postponed. And now we're here in our April break, and we are pivoting once again. The workload of teachers this year is nothing like it has been in the past. We had to rethink everything that we do. We had to rethink how we were going to plan our curriculum when we had less access to our computer labs, mainly because a lot of our technology is out with students who need them for virtual learning. Uh, We had to think about how we used to share resources. We can't share resources anymore, Uh, particularly for classes that are hands-on. We had to really think about what part of our curriculum can we actually accomplish this year and what do we have to shift drastically. So, for instance, I mentioned that I teach music. We're only allowed to play our woodwinds and brass instruments for 30 minutes a day in order to ensure that there's not so many air droplets circulating. Uh, phys ed, you have to think about the fact that you can't share all of these materials that you would. So it's a lot of independent sports that are being uh, learned within our physical education classes. And in terms of our technology classes, you can't share tools as you did before. So there's a real shift of how we're teaching. And no matter what, we're just we're not getting a break that we desperately need to recharge in order to better support our students' mental health as well. Is anyone tracking lost hours or sick time or uh, uh, people being uh, taking mental health breaks because uh, because of the circumstances uh, and comparing that with what was previously there? So there definitely that definitely is being tracked. Um, so uh, whenever someone goes off on a mental health uh, medical leave or just a medical leave in general. I mean, it is tracked within HR and within our office uh, itself, and I can safely say that medical leaves have increased this year, Um, and it's completely justified. It is extremely stressful to go into a school and try and make sure that all of your students are wearing their PPE properly, trying to ensure that they're physically distancing within a space that really doesn't allow for it and really just worrying about their mental health and their well-being within a pandemic world. Have you got any preliminary numbers on on that? Uh, I don't, I'm sorry. Okay, fair enough. There are a number of schools in Northumberland County which experienced an outbreak recently. Have you been in touch with members, and what are you hearing from them? Yeah, so there definitely has been an outbreak. Um, I know... Coburg CI, last I heard, had 17 cases. The anxiety level uh, when it comes to student cases and staff cases, it really pushes through the roof uh, when those are announced. Um, Just wondering, you know, what have I done in my classroom? Um, Have we been following the proper guidelines? Um, 
So it's really just questions. And with privacy laws, it's really hard to know, is it in my classroom or did I actually, was I exposed? Um, but I do have all the faith in our public health unit. Uh, they do a really good job of contract tracing and we really do an excellent job of tracking where our students are at all times to ensure that the contract tracing is as easy and as um, well recorded as possible. Um, but like I said, it's, it's so scary when you have a case in your school. Everyone is heightened and everyone is worried that they're going to be sent home or that there's a possibility that they could be transmitting the virus to their family members. What supports do the uh, school boards and and your union provide for uh, students and teachers during these kinds of crises? Well, um, during these types of crises, so first off, when it comes to students, uh, if they're feeling anxiety or stress at all, we do have KPR provide school counselors, so they do have the opportunity to talk to that. I know Kids Help Phone is advertised consistently by KPR. Um, within our own union, we, of course, um, well, KPR provides an employee uh, family assistance program, which has free online counseling services. So we direct our members to there, as well as counseling services through our benefits plan as well. Uh, so those are the types of support we give. Um, but also, when it comes to a case, we, we reach out, both KPR and the union, we reach out to the health unit to make sure that if there's anything we can do to help, that we are following it and that we're providing proper guidelines and instructions to all staff within the school. Have you uh, had any of your members become ill with COVID? Yes, uh, there have been members who have become ill with COVID. Uh, thankfully, none of them have been hospitalized. Uh, they've all recovered, and it's all as positive as can possibly be during this pandemic. Now, vaccinations are rolling out, and one group that is being very vocal right now about getting priority are teachers' unions. Can you tell us about this campaign? Yes, of course. Um, so, within a school, there are a number of unmasked students due to medical exemptions, particularly within our special education program. Um, I, I will also say that back in the summer, OSSCF was a strong advocate for ensuring that there were smaller class sizes and better ventilation in our schools to provide a safer working and learning environment for everyone at a school. And a lot of these safety measures were never taken into account. So we don't have smaller class sizes. There's still classes, especially in Northumberland at Coburg, that are 30 or more. And you can't socially distance within those classrooms. And you have students in those classrooms who have lunch and they're taking their masks off. And then that brings into concern, is there proper ventilation in that classroom? So there's serious safety concerns that were raised very early on in this pandemic that have never been addressed by the Ford government. And that brings into question if we as education workers are safe in these spaces. So yes, there's definitely a push for getting educators vaccinated. Right now, though, uh, we and the government are focusing on getting those special education teachers and staff vaccinated. They are the ones who will be returning to classes 
on April 19th uh, with their learning life skills students who are predominantly unmasked. Um, but I do know it's, it's difficult to get an appointment. Health units are doing their best to prioritize education workers who are returning to class, but there simply aren't enough spaces to ensure that that is in place by Monday. Um, when it comes to the rest of the education workforce, I, I do just want to stress that it's important for every essential worker out there to have vaccinations. It's not just teachers, um, but in order to ensure the best return to in-person learning, a great defense mechanism would be for us to have vaccinations. Um, and also perhaps looking at better PPE in our classroom. So I know earlier on CBC did um, a look at our medical masks and they're simply not up to standards and that's what the Ministry of Education mandates that we use. Meanwhile, it's being recommended that at the very least we should have KN95 masks um, for really anyone in the community, uh, but we don't have access to those supports. So vaccination seems like something that potentially we could access. You talk a lot about teachers being vaccinated. What about students? Why aren't we just trying to get the entire education system vaccinated, all of them, and, so, and making that a priority as compared to just what we're doing right now? Yes, of course. I mean, I certainly think that students should be vaccinated. Um, but right now, especially for younger students, I know I don't recommend uh, represent elementary students, but there is no vaccine for them at the moment. Um, but really, in terms of Ontario, my hope is just everyone can be vaccinated as quickly as possible. It's the one way to ensure that our education system is up and running as it should be. It's interesting that you mention uh, the number of groups that are now requesting a priority. The government has identified teachers in hotspots to get vaccine, at least the first dose right now. Why, why is this not good enough? Well, as we are seeing, every single community, um, I, I believe on Monday the government said every single health unit except for two in Ontario has seen an increase in COVID cases. I mean, hotspots are definitely important, but every single community is seeing an increase, and these variants of concern are extremely, they're, they're fast-growing, they're spreading like crazy, and we, we don't want to see that enter our community at a rate that we're seeing in the hotspots. It can easily change where the hotspots are. If I can go back for just a moment, you mentioned in a previous answer about the numbers in the classrooms at uh, Cobra Collegiate Institute. Do you think that that contributed to the outbreak? From what I understand at Cobra, they haven't um, declared that the spread happened within Cobra Collegiate, uh, but instead it happened outside of school. Uh, so I don't think that that assisted with the spread, but um, there is always the possibility, if it wasn't caught earlier, that it could have spread within the school. With remote learning and vaccinations being on the agenda, plus trying to get through the academic year, what is the path forward looking like in your mind? Well, the path forward to me is really let's get our teachers vaccinated so that we can return to in-person learning. But really, Let's ensure that our broader community has access to these vaccinations as well. I mean, the quicker that we vaccinate everyone, the 
less transmission transmissionable this virus is going to be. But really, I just want to stress that we need to return to in-person learning as soon as possible. That's our pathway forward. It's the best way to ensure our students are learning um, and that we're supporting their mental health as best as possible. Erin Leonard, I want to thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. That was my interview with Erin Leonard, President of District 14 of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.